Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and this week we're diving in with a good friend of mine, the one and only J.D. Estrada. J.D., how are you doing? Greetings, fellow humans. I'm doing good, Jim. How about yourself? You know, this this wonderful weather that's been nice and chilly. You know, I, I think it's just been a little chilly. Um, just to give a little background, uh, my name is J.D. Estrada. I'm a Puerto Rican author, indie author who decided he wanted to see the the real life uh walking dead show so i moved to atlanta for for all that we've enjoyed the last couple of years well and i brought jd in because i want to talk today a lot about working with language and working with translations and the the importance of language and especially as writers diving into how this this all works so jd do you want to kind of give a little bit more of your background you know, okay both fiction and and professionally as well and professionally as well okay so so when it comes to fiction fake it. yeah just fake it jd fake it no nah, um uh, being from puerto rico people are, are often surprised that uh, i primarily write in english and you know out of my 19 books 17 are in english one is bilingual one is in spanish um that's going to be shifting not shifting it's just i'm just finally getting the spanish out there um Professionally speaking, I've been working in communications, public relations, and marketing for the last, almost in the last 19 years. Um, that includes working at about eight ad agencies, uh, a company, and working freelance here and there. When you work in advertising and when you, when you have a particular skill set in Puerto Rico, you're going to get a lot of work. Um, so I knew to be the only person at an agency who could properly translate a script an email, um, a print ad, a mailer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I may, you know, by, by being skilled, I made a lot of people's lives a lot easier. The thing is that throughout the years, you realize that the nuances of language and when you translate and when you, when you work fiction and nonfiction, the challenges that you're going to find are, are very varied. Uh, I did mention that I have 19 books out. That includes poetry. That includes nonfiction. That includes middle grade. That includes urban fantasy. That includes, you know, I'm all, I, I, that also includes horror. So when, when it comes to language, what works in one language doesn't always work in the other. And how you transpose from one language to another, that's a whole other ball of wax. So let's start talking just a little bit in general about the importance of language. Because we all hypothetically use it every day we all hopefully are trying to do things effectively and and communicate the ideas whether it's friends and family whether it's business and work how do you go about approaching when you're looking at let's say ad content marketing content when something's written in english you know we all know that there's a lot of slang there's a lot of um there's a lot of very specific cultural connotations you know, if we look at english uh, depending on what area of the country you're in or what country you're in as English speak, uh, English speakers. And let's see if I can actually make language work today. But as we go around the world and we find English speakers, we find a lot of colloquialisms. We find a lot of accents. We find a lot of changes. We find a lot of slang. 
how do you approach going about that when you are then translating, say, going from English to Spanish or Spanish to English to find something that necessarily is, is going to work? Well, often what I'm, I've encountered it in, in my work is that normally we get an ad campaign and we have to make it work for Hispanic audiences. That's been like you know, my bread and butter in so many jobs that that's basically the default setting. And if you see the budgets, you'll see why. General market gets like 70% of the budget. Hispanic and other minorities get like 30, if that. Um, first thing is that you read the script you bang your head against the wall a couple of times uh, and try to rattle and make sense out of it because it's specifically ad speak. It, it is a lot of wordplay. There's a lot of puns. Like you said, it's a lot of colloquialisms and a lot of stuff that doesn't translate. So how can you make something that works perfectly in one language, but exclusively in that language work in the other one? That's when you have to use that little thing that you call a brain. And also how people speak in New England, in New York, and in Texas, and in the Midwest, and in the West, and all those places, and then how people speak in the UK, and how people speak in New Zealand, and how people speak in Australia. Those are distinct dialects. And it pales in comparison to the variation that you're going to find in Spanish, because it. I always say that, you know, to be a bit vulgar, it's six degrees of separation between penis. Because one word is going to be fine in three countries and suddenly the fourth country it's going to mean something that is that is vulgar and that is from from words that mean cake or a bag or a bug those are three examples concrete examples that if you go to a certain place and you use the the, the word that most places use it is vulgar language so first off is that you translate just to have consider that your first draft it's not going to look pretty but it, it you have to make sure that it contains the essence of your message um you know what are the leads what are the the what are the mandatories what are the things that you have to preserve in in that it could be an offer it could be the concept of a campaign it can be those things and other things and just making sure that that works second off you polish it up and you you really dive in and stop being the translator and become the writer. So you have to flip that switch. The first one is to just transpose the information as best as you can. The second is to make that, that, um, that information work the best as it can. And then you get creative, you know, wherever you can add a flare or something. And when I say a flare, that is that has a big old asterisk because being from Puerto Rico, a lot of people say that I speak Puerto Rican. And that's very true. I found that out. Uh, I have a bilingual collection and I did the all English version of that. And a text translator didn't help me at all because... Yes, you can use tools like that um, to as a shortcut or or as a tool. Maybe you're not sure how to translate something. You put the phrase in, you see what it what it brings back, and then you have to evaluate. And a lot of, a lot of people just trust blindly, and that's when things get really messed up. Um, the only one star review I've ever given in my life, and I'm sure that that guy still hates me, is because they actually put the entire book through a text translator, and it borderline doesn't make sense uh it's not it's not just that it's clunky it's not just that it's not hitting the notes it's that it doesn't make sense and the nuances in one language are completely lost 
and sometimes um a, a word is translated in a way that you go like that's that's not what that means which is something that a lot of people um don't take into consideration you know b- beyond language is, is about meaning and message and context and a lot of people forget context i recently saw a translation where something uh about a play and then when you when you saw the, tr- the translated text it was referring to like a stage play not people playing not you know it, like a stage play and it mean that, that has nothing to do with the real meaning of the sentence so people want to do it quick people want to do it cheap and people want to do it in the great in great quality and in advertising they say you can have two of those three things yeah and triangle yeah and so you have to you have to evaluate everything everything and how you proofread and how you it's it's almost like the the, the difference between a line editing and developmental editing one is making sure that the grammar and the construct make sense and that, you know, from point A at the beginning of a sentence to point Z at the end of the paragraph or the piece, everything makes sense. Uh, everything is grammatically correct. Then it has to make sense. And a lot of people forget that. And they just think that, oh, because AI is so advanced and AI has come a long way. And yes, Google Translate, Linge, uh, Word Reference, and all those tools do help you out. But... You can't, if you cut corners, you're going to eventually crash. That is my experience. And I, I haven't, I haven't seen one exception to that. So let's actually talk a little bit about the tools. Um, I recently, a couple weeks ago, did a show talking about AI and art and some of these pieces. Uh, and I've, and I've done a couple of shows and interviews on some others talking about how we see things like, you know, the chat bots, how we see the different AI generators, these sorts of things. The technology is coming along, but again, at the end of the day, it really still relies on derivative work. It, it relies on everything that's out there. So if you're thinking in terms of uh, the difference between, and let's let's stick with ad copy and, and kind of educational copy, that kind of stuff for, for a few minutes. If we're thinking about that and running it through a tool, it may give you something, like you say, that is largely grammatically correct but it doesn't take more than a couple of sentences for something to go totally off the rails. I mean, if you want to do a good experiment, take something, write it in English, run it through translator into Spanish, then take what was done in Spanish, run it back to English then go back from English to Spanish. Do that a couple of times and see how long it takes for something to become absolute nonsense. It'll make the the average game of telephone look uh, like a fiber optic connection. It takes three steps for it to become gibberish. Most most texts, and if it's very complex text, if from the get go, from you know, as soon as you get it back, the the the, the first time you back translate it, you're gonna go like, whoa, what what's that? Um, and that's the difference in in, in language. I I've worked a lot in healthcare. Healthcare, I, I think the the most challenging categories that I can say aren't actually healthcare. Health health healthcare is tricky, but for different reasons. Uh, just because again add copy so how long something is um i have to make something that fits in 30 seconds and suddenly you know cancer screening becomes pruebas de detección del cancer so that's one of the challenges that you're going to find um but you know again 
you can use a, a text translator sparingly. Um, you can even use it for a paragraph. But to give you an example of, of what a responsible process would look like, um, you have your text in English, you have a Word document. But let's, let's take it as bare as you can get. You, you don't have anything fancy. You, you, you need everything free. Um, hopefully you have Microsoft suite. And if not, you, you just need a, you know, a text document with a table. You're going to put the, the, the English text on the left. You're going to take your translated text on the right, and you're going to go line by line and you're going to be reading it simultaneously to make sure it makes sense. And then if you want to catch a uh, typo, something that I do in English and Spanish is read upside down because you're reading out of sequence so it's not gonna it's not gonna have a meaning and you're just focusing on on, on grammar uh, grammar context and and little little stuff that you know might might go by the wayside um again the problem is when people trust things blindly and they go like well this translate and this translator says that and I've been put in the situation of having to question what a certified translation is saying on many on many an occasion and i've always said can i talk to the person because you can send an email and you can show me all the info but until you have a proper conversation and you get to a, a proper happy medium uh, odds are you're not going to get the best you know the best option possible so that's that's one thing um the other thing that that people ask me is how do you verify that you have the correct term Literally go to Google, do a search of the word, then do a search of another word, you know, to see which one has bigger hits, literally see how many hits it gets on Google. And that's, that's pretty much your answer. The other thing is, since I work with a lot of stuff in healthcare, one thing is websites and health supplements and blogs and articles and reddits and stuff like that and another thing is official websites when you have to deal with uh, people you know entities like the cdc and cms and other government ag agencies you go to their websites you see the, the their preferred terminology odds are in that in spanish you're going to have two options and you have to see which one has more hits so Beyond the translation, it's also making sure that you do the due diligence and verify. So that that's just like a like a really top level, high level of what I have to do. You know, depending on the project. Well, it, having built systems where we're in, having built you know customer facing websites, all this sort of stuff, where you've got here's the English translation, or here's the here's the English language version of it. And the amount of time we spend building, developing that, the experience, the language that's used and fighting about that, and then having to take that and have it translated into Spanish, German, French, mm -hmm. um, Italian, you know, in, in really have fun with Cyrillic languages. But when you're going through that process, you know, one of the things that we've had to do in, in some cases was, depending on what marketplaces we were in, depending on what country you were in as to what language we specifically used. Um, you know, and what specific translations we used. How often are you running into people making that decision um, to say, if we're operating in this area, this region, we're going to go with this translation versus another translation? Normally, um, most of what I work has been uh, stateside or in Puerto Rico. Rarely have I had to work for something in, in Europe or in other countries. Um, it has happened, and I think the one time that I had to work on that 
it was a developmental uh, project for, for these condos in Panama. The same company had a, a complex on the Atlantic side and another complex on the Pacific side uh, of, of the same country. Even there, there were nuances just because of, of where they were. They weren't drastic. They weren't severe. But I, I was given, um, you know, I was told we're going to refer to this this way in, for this country and this way for this country. When it comes to stateside, nine times out of 10, it's going to default Mexican unless you're writing to communities like, I don't know, New York, Miami, um, certain parts of Chicago. And certain other uh, other clusters where there's um, a higher percentage of people from a certain country. What ends up happening though is that you go for the most neutral Spanish as possible, and so that means that colloquialisms go out the window. Uh, little puns in workplace, you have to be very careful with those because again, what might be smile inducing in one language might be uh, completely offensive in another country. So, so how do you default that? Microsoft Word has, you're, you're going to see that it has some options in Spanish. And I, there's even an option for Puerto Rico, and it's not that good. You know, uh, just go for traditional sort or modern traditional. There's, there's depending on if you're Mac or, or PC, there, there's going to be a default for that. And also something else that you can do specifically in Microsoft Word is that, if again, the, the two-column approach, if you have one column, separated in the table you can put that one in one language and the other one in another language so a lot of people just click control a and put one language and then they check it in the other language and you have to always have both languages running at the same time to make sure that you know you minimize you, you're never gonna call it perfectly it's never gonna be a hundred percent guaranteed um sometimes it's gonna be a hundred percent perfect uh other times it's gonna be 95 um if you but, if you're reading my stuff it's not gonna be perfect <laughs> that's that's just the first pass of anything no but it it's it's that and and you just mentioned the first pass when you're working with copy and translated copy you also have to negotiate with there's there's often times that i have to make spanish copy for a non-spanish speaking client and that that gets interesting because Okay, so so I have the, the the text in English. I have the what ends up being in Spanish, and I have to do a back translation of what I did in Spanish and any comments and any notes uh, specifically to to each person that might read this, so that they know why I did what I did in that particular language. Um, again, lots of nuances, and and sometimes you have to say this doesn't work in this language, so. I use this option. And if not, that's when you go to plan plans B through, you know, you can get to gamma if, if you have a really particular client. So let's talk a little bit about fiction, you know, where you are working with and translating stories, fiction, because again, there you've got not only the, the issues with the nuances, you've got a, you've got a lot of difference in how you carry the emotion, how you carry scenes settings what you you know so how do you approach going about that like one of your pieces was a mixture of english and spanish and you just translated the the stories yeah. originally done in spanish into english and we talked a little bit about the fun process you went through there okay so this is 2020 
this is my bilingual collection. It's got 20 pieces in English, 20 pieces in Spanish, and it's got a bilingual poem in the middle transitioning from, uh, from English to Spanish. And I was like, I just have to translate half a book. How hard can that be? Um, first off, I have poetry. I know that we're talking about fiction, but it also has poetry. And the first decision I made when I was translating the poetry is that I'm not going to adhere to rhyme schemes uh, when I translate, just because you're going to drive yourself insane trying to look for the same rhyme scheme. It's just not something, most times it's not something feasible, sometimes by happenstance, serendipity, whatever. It, it works out and you can maintain the you can maintain the rhyme scheme but that's not that's not the 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 issue so I have three short stories here one is about okay let's go from backwards to forwards one is called two sugars and a surprise or, or a secret and that one um two sugars and one secret in Spanish, it's dos azúcares y un secreto. The challenge to translate that one is that I have to paint a picture of old San Juan in a way that you understand without having ever visited Puerto Rico. So the tools that I need in English to paint a clearer picture are going to be different than the ones that I use in Spanish. Language is going to be different because Puerto Rican slang is not going to translate. It's like trying to to properly translate Hagrid speaking in Spanish. It's just it's just going to be clunky, and you just have to try to work around it in a way that feels organic. And that's also something that's very prevalent when you're talking about fiction and translating fiction. I normally hate reading translated fiction because it's not that it's done poorly. It's that it's not the it's not the original the original language, and something gets lost. Obviously, if I want to read Freud, obviously, if I want to read Carl Jung, obviously, if I want to read Pippi Longstocking and, uh, and, other, and other works that were written in a completely different language, uh, to give you another example, Day Watch and Night Watch, which is uh, from Russia, and it's sensational, then I have to read it in the language that either does it better or has the best budget. Um, I think the translation for, for the English one was, was pretty good for Nightwatch and Daywatch coming from Russian. And I've asked people who, I don't have many people that I can ask from Russian descent, how, how the English translates versus the Russian, because not many people have re read that in Russian and in English, but at least one person did mention, and it wasn't bad. And I'm like, okay, that's good enough for me. So I mentioned one story. Uh, second story was between the lines and Trelinias. This is about a, a Argentine uh, busker who ended up from Argentina in New York. Okay, there were there were little nuances that translating that wasn't wasn't as complicated as, as I thought where it could be. The first story is where we can really dive in. It's called lane change in Spanish. It's cambio de carril. That one takes place in uh, El Espresso de America. It is one of the, the major freeways in, in, in Puerto Rico in the metro area. From one of the offices I once worked at to my apartment where I lived for about six years, if there was no traffic and I didn't get one traffic light, it would take me eight minutes from, from point A to point B. Normally, I would average 
15 to 20 minutes because of traffic lights, people being people, and just traffic. On one occasion, I knew because it was raining and there were crashes and they had to close lanes and stuff like that, it took me two and a half hours to get home. Okay, so that story takes place in that stretch. Obviously, if you didn't live in that time, you're not going to get the references of the of the billboards that uh, that do make their presence known in in the story. And so that's the first thing you have to make it. You know, I, I translated it, and suddenly I was like, "This doesn't make sense." If I'm if I'm an English speaker and I've never been to Puerto Rico, and then I realized there were several chunks that just don't make sense because in Puerto Rico we speak a lot of Spanglish, a lot. Most Spanish-speaking countries have their own version of Spanglish. Puerto Rico has its own, and people just butcher language, you know, front, front line, you know, everywhere, everywhere. If it's a language, we're going to butcher it. Um, it's part of our flavor and our, our you know, the, the color that we give language and, and communication. Okay, that's fine. It's the seasoning palette. It, it definitely it's it's a puerto rican seasoning so there are several segments that i realized that not only would a person that's not uh, never been to puerto rico wouldn't understand someone who's not puerto rican wouldn't understand the joke so i had to change several segments just to make a story out of it so try to imagine that you you begin with 100 of your story suddenly you realize that the translation of the billboards don't work and you have to work around that that's one aspect but if you take that out, that's about 10% of the story. Suddenly you see these fragments and these extracts that make no sense once you translate to one person who has never been to Puerto Rico and has no idea what's going on and doesn't have the struggles with language that people from Puerto Rico have. The jokes that, 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 that I mentioned is because I had one particular teacher that was, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just happy that she didn't have like an iron bar. Uh, to whip us every time that we did a grammatical error. She was tough, but I'm very thankful for her because if my grammar is any good in Spanish, it's in large part thanks to her because she was tough. And the thing is that we wouldn't say... Um, I'm going to... Me voy a comer un emparedado. I'm going to eat a sandwich. We would we would say, me voy a comer un sandwich. And we would butcher sandwich. Rather than sandwich, it would be sandwich. Or stuff like that. To give you one one quick example. We do that very often, replacing one word. And it's, it's this person that is having... He has all the time to think because traffic is not cooperating. And... Um, he's he's thinking and then he's checking himself because the grammar Nazi was so effective in his youth that every time that he even thinks something like that, he he catches himself. Again, that's something that when you translate it, it doesn't make sense. And that's that's something that can happen happen very often with translation. So I had to come up with a new gimmick and a new and new stuff. And basically it becomes its own story in English. Um and so something that just if you just have to translate in terms of word count, that would have taken me what, like three, four hours to do a proper translation. Um, but the rewrite and, and those other processes, um, it, it took me well above two weeks just to make that short story, which I wrote and I know what I want to communicate to make it work in another language. So that's just 
one example. And the and the poetry, what I found fascinating is that again, base decision, not gonna not gonna adhere to rhyme schemes. How the verses flow in English and Spanish and how I I approached it and I went like, okay, these two lines become this one line and this one line becomes two lines. And suddenly you have like a mismatch in terms of lines. But when you read it from start to finish, it makes sense. And it has something odd going for it. It hits you differently when you when you pass it through that filter because it's not it's not only that you lose something, it's that you gain something when you when you properly think in both languages. Um and for me. Let me ask a question on that, because again, especially with poetry, you know, solid poetry brings a strong emotional message. I mean, that's that's what it's there for is is to create the emotion. It's to create the experience when you're going through and you have something that you're taking something that was originally written in one language and translating to another. Mm -hmm. Do you really have the same story? Do you still have the same work? Or fundamentally, is it something, it may be similar, but is it fundamentally something that's new, even if it carries the same emotion, it carries the same, or it carries the same reaction, or doesn't? I mean, how do you decide at what point is this really a completely new work, even almost more inspired by rather than a translation of? for me being indie it, it just means that i i get final say and i get final cut on what what gets published so that's that's definitely something that i don't have to worry about to the degree that other people have to worry about but i would describe it it's like a seed genetically speaking and visually speaking if you see two seeds they look identical they look like the same thing but if you put it in one type of soil and in another type of soil stuff starts getting different if you pack the soil a bit a bit more here and a it's a bit more loose here it's going to grow differently different amounts of water different amounts of oxygen different amounts of nutrients different amount of everything and that's how i see uh the works in in, in both languages for me it almost becomes its own thing and it has the same seed it, it was just transposed to grow in another place in another part of my brain um, when I speak in English and when I speak in Spanish, even the tone of my voice changes and, and the, the, the inner monologue, it changes as well. Yes, it's my voice, but my voice in English and my voice in Spanish are two completely different things. How I approach, um, emotion in each language is very different also, just because the relationships that I've had, the conversations that I've had um the media that i've encountered in each language is different and just because the weight of one word in one language and the weight of the same word in another language is is different um the word poise yes it has a certain weight but when you say in spanish that person is a persona tiene porte when you say porte it's like almost it already injects like an extra level of regalness uh, to it to give you one example and also phonetically speaking um how you approach and what sounds good in one language and what sounds good to you in another language is different and yes i can vary my tone and i can vary my volume but still word usage in in each language is its own thing and 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 for me 
why have I taken so long to write in Spanish? Because I needed to get comfortable with my voice in Spanish. And and since most of what I do in Spanish is is my day job, it's my work. I don't always get that chance to to write with emotion. What was it like to have to basically find two voices as a writer and a creator? Some people would would get hung up on it and they would want to mirror it as much as possible. Uh, for me, there there are certain things that are always going to be very me. You know, I like to be cheeky. I like to you never. Yeah, yes, um, cheek. But I also like. I like to make when I make a point. I don't. I don't like it to be smug. Um, I prefer for it to be as honest and from the heart as possible. And that just sounds different in each language. You know, I love you and te amo. Um, same thing. But um, if you speak both languages, or for me, when I say te amo it packs a punch it, it, it because the people that i've 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 told them point blank they am they speak spanish and they know what i'm saying that's coming from my soul so it's just it's it's a discovery you know what what's my voice when i write horror what's my voice when i write poetry what's my voice when i write um nonfiction? and uh, one of my biggest influences uh has always been david bowie because Bowie would play any genre, any musical genre, and it would sound like Bowie. Yes, he would give it its, his own spin, but no matter what, it never felt as if he was trying to please anyone but himself. And obeying that inner voice that's saying, this is what feels right. So what feels right in English and what feels right in Spanish are different just because it's two different trajectories. You could even say that I began my my Spanish writing career when I published my first poetry collection, which is what a lot of people do. And then they dabble, they dabble, they dabble, and then eventually they get fed up and they release a novel, which is kind of what's happening with me. I'm 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 preparing a short story horror collection or dark fantasy collection, and I'm 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 still trying to decipher the way that I want to tell people what it is. Because some of the short stories are horror, but others are more dark fantasy. And Fantasia Oscura just, it still sounds weird. And it just might be that I'm not used to it. Um, but every project for me is, is self-discovery. And I always describe my process as diving into, into different soul wells. Um, what I tap into when I write poetry is different from when I write an email or a text message or a review or an ad copy or a TV script or anything. So it's just really being honest and, and seeing what's there. Some people are so focused on writing correctly that they forget to write truthfully. And, and, and for me, I don't have that problem because it's always been, you know, one thing, I'm never going to be a one-trick pony. I, I refuse. And second, if, if, if you've seen my, my channel and my taste test, you know that I like to try different things. And that applies across the board. Like different types of music, different types of movies, different types of video games. And I love exploring different parts of me through the different things that I write. And being able to explore more in Spanish 
Right now, I'm working on two nonfiction projects, or at least I'm outlining them. The feel of one and the feel of other, uh, of the other, are very different, and they're supposed to be almost, you know, brothers, but they end up being cousins. So, I think that's a good way of of seeing it. They they're not siblings, but they're still related, and they're still shared DNA. But it's just, again, even though it's in the same cranium, it's two brains that are operating. So when we talk about truth, and and I find the word truth to be an interesting one in and of itself, because truth, and we say in terms of there's the truth, and then there's my truth. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen a, a lot of debate over what is the truth, um, especially in the last couple of years. And I always find this is an interesting concept because it's a different thing from to have a truth versus a fact. When you come and you say, this is my truth, when you change languages and when you change voice, how does that affect that truth? There are certain things that, that you know, my, my core values are, are always going to be there, no matter the language, no matter if I, if I lose the ability to, to speak. I'm always going to think that manners are important. I'm always going to hate people that, that litter unnecessarily. I'm always going to despise politics and what it's become um the and the thing is that the disdain that i have in english and spanish within me pertain to my cultures as well because obviously i'm I'm living in the states so i am living all these adventures that we're living lately and and you know every anytime there's a day that there isn't a headline about the politics which never happens i think should be a holiday First of all, you are in Atlanta, the headquarters of CNN. So you know, you oh, kind of yeah. get what yeah you give what you ask for. <laughs> and then in in Puerto Rico, it's just uh, it's almost like a Mexican restaurant. It's the same ingredients, it's just a different place. Um, and it's just like nauseating. It's like oh lord. But finding my truth and relating my truth in 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 each language. Um, again, core values and and the essence of who I am, that doesn't change. But the things that I gravitate towards, that does change. Um, I'm still going to like metal and all sorts of genres of music in English and Spanish and and several other languages. But when I say that I, I'm I'm true to my to my truth, my truth in when I'm speaking English, I'm not writing as a Puerto Rican. You know, part parts of me and certain pieces, yes, um, but that's not inherently tied into most of the dna and i've realized that in spanish when i write that comes up a lot more often and a lot more surface level that you go like wow this guy loves puerto rico and i'm like yeah that's home um and and the desire to share that with people um the desire to share in english again it's more surface level and desire to i want to share it in english and i want to be as true to it as I can be in Spanish, which is two different things. Um, you know, writing something that that can be recognized as oh, Puerto Rican literature is very different than writing about Puerto Rico um, or having little flavors of Puerto Rico. I've I've realized that people, some people love when you go all in, but a lot of people prefer to have a taste of it, and if they like that taste, they might look for more. Or they might they might have 
it, it goes back to own voices. Um, I don't want to be, I want to be known as a good writer. I don't want to be known as a good own voices writer. And, and when I write in English, that's, that's a big chip on my shoulder. And that's a big part of my truth. A big part of my truth is, is that even though I, I grew up on an island and I love my island, I'm not limited by it. And when I write in Spanish, it's, it's the opposite. It's saying, I grew up in an island. I love it so much that I'm going to show you exactly what it what there is to love about the island. That is starting to seep in a little into the English. And I'm I'm finding that that itch to write about stuff that I normally write only in, in Spanish. So there could be a convergence. But um, again, p- part of it is ego and me saying, yeah, I, I lived 36 years in Puerto Rico, but still, my English isn't that bad. Second, my stories are pretty are pretty unique, and I'm not I'm not doing cup and copy paste. I'm not doing a full on tribute to another series or stuff like that, which is something that that can happen often. I'm not saying from Puerto Rico. I'm saying from people from other countries or or other languages or but that also happens stateside there's a lot of people that want to write the next harry potter or the next twilight or the next whatever and they keep so much of that dna in their work that it's like it it almost dilutes what their work could be and 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 for me no, no matter what and no matter what you read from me the mission is that at by the end of it you go like damn that that was that was honest whatever whatever honest means for 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 people so when you're flipping between languages and i i know we've talked about some of this before is the idea of the culture and mm-hmm. language automatically comes with a variety of cultures that's where a lot of the colloquialisms come from that's where a lot of the slang comes in you know, but how do you then look at the culture that you're working with because we were talking earlier about when you're working on commercial work you're mm-hmm. trying to find that neutral spanish something that's going to be the most widely accepted how does that kind of a cultural influence play in and does the fact that you are trying to go for that broadest audience also then affect the quality of the the ultimate result of the work to me the the broader the audience um the the less of the impact that's debatable depending on on who you ask um i was having a conversation about my love for avatar the other day and someone um left a comment saying that what's special about avatar is that it paints in broad enough uh, broad enough strokes that it can relate to populations worldwide meaning that it can really relate to people uh from india or china or, or, you know, places that, uh, you know, that aren't the U.S., that isn't Hollywood, that isn't the U.K., that isn't, isn't necessarily English speaking. For me, the first movie, I, I don't think I'm ever going to watch this. Come on. Uh, the first movie just feels derivative. And, and sure, it can be relatable to most people, even though it's right now the criticism that James Cameron is receiving is that it's a white savior narrative, which it kind of is. And you can make a good case for that. And some people are going to make a case against that. That's besides the point. What is the point is that to me, I felt one thing is to read something that is familiar enough, but fresh. And you go like, ah, this is, this is kind of familiar, but this is new. And another thing is to read something and go like, 
okay, so now are you going to say that, you know, mother is God in, in the eyes of every children? Because, you know, you have to use that phrase. You have to make me feel. Um, when you go that broad, yes, you're limited, but that doesn't mean that you can't connect. Pablo Neruda is one of the the, the best known poets in, in Spanish literature. And the thing is that he's widely read by people in English. So I, I've never read Neruda in English. I, I should do that experiment just to see, just to compare him. And there should be a collection where you can read it in English and Spanish. I think that would be ideal. And I don't know if it exists. But what I can say is that people still feel, people people still relate to a lot of things from, from French poetry, even if it's translated. That doesn't mean, if you go with a mindset that you're not going to be able to, to hit emotional points, you forget that even though we have various cultures, we're still human, um, we can still donate blood and save each other's and platelets and stuff like that. We can still donate a kidney and save someone in Ghana. If, if you know, in theory, that that's a possibility. And it just teaches you to not focus so much on culture or language, but message. It's like, okay, I, what do you want people to feel? I want people to feel this. I want people to feel good or bad or sad or afraid. And that's, that's your focus. I don't want Puerto Ricans to feel afraid. I don't want Spaniards to feel afraid. I don't want people, U.S. Hispanic people um, in the Midwest to feel afraid. I want everyone to feel afraid. I, I want someone to see this and no matter if they, they're reading the subtitles, it's going to hit them in the gut. Or I want to make anyone smile. And there's stuff that no matter who you are, unless you've got a broken chip, they're going to make you smile. If you see a puppy that's slipping or doing something cute, you're going to smile. If you see a puppy that's getting old and you see him with, with, you know, with grays coming in, you're going to get choked up. If you have any sort of uh, connection with an animal, the copy is, the copy comes in to support that. So it's idea first, idea and message uh, first and emotion first, and then language as a support language, visuals, audio, anything that you can do to support that. And so th you just have to flip the switch and flip the narrative and flip your mindset and just go rather than focus on the right word. It's what's going to let you hit those emotional, you know, milestones that you want to do in 15 or 30 seconds, which is another challenge in and of itself. So if somebody is trying to figure out, A, should I get my work translated? And B, then finding somebody to do the translation for you, how would you recommend somebody go about that? Um, look at look for someone who has done the work before and who gets recommended. Um, word of mouth is always going to be the best way to find the best people for anything. Yeah, you can see an advert. Yeah, you can see someone who's got... 40,000 subscribers and their website is polished. But until you don't find someone that says, I worked with that person and it was a good experience, I would tread carefully. Does that mean you have to research a lot? Yes. Does that mean it's easy to find? Hell no. Um, I know a couple of people whom I could recommend for certain types of projects. 
uh, what you, I would recommend for a novel is very different from what I would recommend for a press release, which is very different from whom I would recommend for ad work. And you have to see which, you know, who has the muscles that can flex better in each one. Again, this is because I have the benefit of having worked 19 years in several companies and knowing a lot of people. But right now, people that, that I would trust to translate a novel, very few and far between, even with all the people that I know, because I've seen, and, and again, that also depends on, on your standard. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hard ass. And I, if I'm going to recommend someone in English or Spanish for an artwork or cover or interior artwork or, or whatever, it's because they delivered. If there are any caveats like, they might delay a bit or you have to guide them a bit more or stuff like that. That is stuff that I give because how each person works is different. Um, when it comes to language and translation specifically, trusting blindly should never be a, should never be an option. And that's what I think has happened with a couple of people. So let's say you're stateside you're you only speak english but you have a friend who speaks spanish and they go like man i really wish i could read your book and i i wish it was available in spanish and then you go like wow maybe i could i could conquer you know latin america hispanic america spain and other countries and other markets if i if i could do it in spanish okay first off ask around Research, and by research, I mean really, you know, do Google searches, try to find someone, see references. If it's someone that is fairly new, I would never recommend someone like that, even though there are highly skilled people that are trying to get their foot in the door. But you're asking me, and I've gotten bitten the keister more than once because I've been referred to people that don't work. So I'm never going to recommend those people as a get-go. If you want me to recommend that way, uh, there are several ways that you can do it. Um, some people offer part of their work for free. Um, another thing that you can do is, is ask if they would do a sample translation and then have someone that speaks Spanish and not someone that took three years of Spanish in high school. No, someone who speaks Spanish, who can have a conversation, que puede cambiar español, then, then can talk English, puede volver español, then can go back to English and can have that conversation and can actually read both texts and tell you this is worth your time and this is worth your money. Why? Because time and money should never be squandered. Um, if you see me tense talking about this, it's because it is a tense uh, subject and it's because it's a subject that a lot of people want to do it. In Puerto Rico, I have the situation that a lot of people want their work translated to English, just as difficult. Until you find someone that works and properly works and not just someone that the person that that had their book translated that I, you know, I tore it a new one. Oh, but this was translated by a professor. And I'm like, then they should be disbarred. I was I was that blunt because one thing is like, eh. another thing is that it took me a year, you know, over a year and a half to read 158 or 159 page book because it was that grueling. Um, maybe I should have DNF'd it and given it a two-star rating and said, eh, not my cup of tea, two stars. But no, I went in depth and I said why it didn't work. So it's that. 
you know, you get what you pay for, but you also get what you research for. And when it comes to translation, you again, if you cut corners, you're going to crash. Don't cut corners. Don't take the easy way out. Ask around. And when, and ask people that you trust. Again, some people might be emphatic with someone that they recommend, but they recommend the hack because the hack needs work. And yes, everyone needs to get paid. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not from the bleeding heart society. I'm here to try to help you, you know, get the best option that you can. People have asked me if I would translate a, a novel, and I'm like, do you have two years to wait? Because I over, I always have a lot of projects in in the works. I'm always slammed with work and in working in advertising, it's very unpredictable. I don't know if this month is going to be okay. And the next month is going to be, you know, a cluster. Um, I, yeah, I have no idea. And I don't have that visibility. And some people want it cheap, want it fast, want it with the best quality. And very rarely can you have all three. So if you remember all of that, um, you know, Seriously, if you want something by the next day, there's going to be mistakes. Even even the best person, even the best trained professional can make a mistake if they're working on that type of a time uh, time frame. Speed kills. <laughs> speed speed kills so many things. Sometimes speed delivers though. Speed and pressure do huh. deliver. If you're if you're stuck and suddenly I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know, and suddenly you ha you can have an epiphany. It's not going to be a healthy one for your physiologically um but it it could get to a truth that you were holding yourself from that's a whole other conversation so if people want to dive into your work why don't we hit on a little bit more of that so they know where to find you and kind of all the fun stuff but um with the plethora and the library you've already created <laughs> we talked a little bit about it but what else can everybody find when they when they dive into your tv reds um, they can find urban fantasy with angels, demons, and vampires that don't sparkle. Um, I don't say it often, but it's, uh, it's actually written from an agnostic point of view. I am agnostic. I grew up Catholic and, and I look at religion as a way to tap into a message that we all share. I think that all religions are valid and all religions have the potential to be awful, but a religion by itself isn't bad. The people who use it, yeah. That's where it, it, it gets it gets sinewy. And so it's it's that I do a lot of music references. There's a character based on if you're an ACDC fan, there's a character based on a whole lot of Rosie, the character from that uh, from that song. There are characters based on in the books that are out right now on Eddie Vedder, on Lane Staley, on Shannon Hoon. Um, there's there's a character named Jeremy, because, of course. It had to be called Jeremy. He had to be called Jeremy. In the novel that I'm working on, there's there are characters based on Mark Lanigan and Chris Cornell. So a lot of the people that that are either I'm I'm very fond of, or and we've lost. You're going to see a lot of that. It's not going to be sad. I promise. Uh, it's going to be deep and it's going to be weird and you know, it's it's dense. I you know I I can say that it's it's almost too complicated. Um. And some people say it's fine. So I, I just know that I enjoy it. If you want something lighter, um, I did write um, middle grade fantasy, my first adventure with an O um, called Given to Fly. 
Uh, it's about a young boy who dreams about flying and he realizes that there's no magic in his house, in the new house that they just moved in for one simple reason. It lives further down the street. Um, it's very whimsical. It's very Hayao Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli. Um, I wanted to write something that was smile-inducing and didn't have any violence, and and I achieved it. Um, it's very light. I think it's 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 a great Christmas present, but you don't have to wait until next Christmas. Poetry runs the gamut from from something light to something. My my approach to what Edgar Allan Poe part of me still lives on. Um, I remember when I read Bukowski the first time, it broke me. So I, I wrote a collection like that. There's even a collection that has a Lovecraftian poem that's 800 lines long and has 100 lines to each movement. Some have a strict rhyme scheme. Others are free verse. It's my exploration of madness. It's called uh, The Madness of Jonathan J. George. Um... I have middle grade short stories about that take place in the world of Draem, which is dream. Um, the thing is that you write a D-R-A-E-M and you write reality, reality, because sometimes dreams get things backwards and so does reality. Those are also quirky. Those are also sweet. And for nonfiction, I have a collection of essays called For Writing Out Loud, which is me trying to have a positive impact on people and another nonfiction work, which is my guide to creative kindness uh, called Peace, Love, and Macurals, which is how I closed most of my blog posts and most of my videos on, on, on BookTube, AuthorTube. So all of that, you can find it on Amazon and some of my titles you can find. And uh, there's actually a, a local bookstore back home called Tasas y Portas. Lovely people love supporting them. They, they are big in supporting Indies back home. And obviously I'm going to support that hundred percent. And in terms of social media, you can find me on Twitter for however long it lasts. I don't know if it's stabilized or if it eventually going to demise. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And I am on YouTube. You can look for me as J.D. Estrada Writer, and you will probably see this mug with varying degrees of scruff on my face. And where's that website? The website, ah, uh, I, I have the blog, but it's not a website. Uh, people say, why don't you have a website? And I say, good question. I'm working on the next novel. Um, will 2020, uh, 2023 be the year for the website? No. Maybe. I don't know. It's not it's not a priority to me right now. It should be, but it's not. Uh, there's other things that are, are more important to me right now than the website. The the the, the blog is jdestradawriter.blogspot.com. JD, thanks for coming and hanging out with me this afternoon and kind of having a nice little in-depth uh, conversation here. My so, pleasure. I appreciate it. And we'll see everybody again next week. Thanks, and this has been Creating Pros.